This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. On this week's show, we are talking about the Imaginative Film Festival, which ran from October 20th to 25th here in Canada. It is the world's leading Indigenous film festival that showcases talent from all over the world with a clear eye towards Indigenous filmmaking and arts. The festival was actually founded back in 1998, and this year it featured films from Canada, the United States, Bolivia, Ecuador, New Zealand, Greenland, and Denmark. And joining me on this episode is Naomi Wada-Platt, who has a YouTube film review channel and is someone that I think is going to be a great guest to talk about all these movies that we were able to watch this year. So Naomi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. You know, enjoying the cold weather of Toronto. What about you? About the same, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we had the opportunity to to go through and, and watch a bunch of the movies that were playing at this year's festival, and we we settled on four that we both ended up seeing, and then one more that you saw. Overall, how was sort of your experience with uh, the sort of offering that they had for us to be able to see, and the general selection of movies? I think it was great. Um, I thought. I actually didn't know anything about this film festival, unfortunately, but this year you um, introduced me to it. And uh, at first I thought it would be um, more focused on Canadian films, but I was surprised by the international selection. And I think it's great because as a Canadian, you know, we only see what's going on in Canada, like, you know, indigenous communities. So knowing about other indigenous communities outside of North American, you know, um continent um it was eye-opening and i really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. yeah i did too i this is a festival that i've seen like the ads on on the ttc for the last few years and i'm always like oh yeah i always want to check this out and then it's like oh and then it passed i didn't get a chance to go and see anything that i wanted to (laughs) it's one of those things where there's just so much going on especially since it takes place in the fall which is Unfortunately, it seems like when all the film festivals take place in in Toronto, TIFF usually kind of takes priority over everything. And then after that, you're Mm -hmm. just like, oh, and then there's like five other smaller festivals I could have gone to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially since there seems to be some crossover, which the first movie that we're going to talk about did actually play at Mm -hmm. TIFF as well. So it was nice that we were able to, to catch it here. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I guess with that, I, I think that's a perfect segue to kind of go right into it. The, I think the sort of the the landmark movie, the the one that was the, the big get for Imaginative this year was Inconvenient Indian, which was Michelle Latimer's adaptation of Thomas King's book, which explores the cultural and colonization of indigenous peoples in North America. And this movie actually premiered back in, in TIFF in September, like I mentioned, where it actually won the People's Choice Award for Documentaries and the award for Best Canadian Film. Splendid slogan. It permits us to set aside the missteps of history and offers a covenant for the future, allowing us to be held blameless for the decisions we make today. Ignorance, this is the defense. Our grandparents didn't know any better. We didn't know any better. If we knew then what we know now, we wouldn't have done what we did. I was very excited about this movie, and it did not disappoint me. What were your initial thoughts on it? It was just so powerful, and you could feel all the anger, but it's just so beautifully made. And it made you like question and think about, you know, white guilt or just the whole education system in Canada, like it made me think about so many things. It, I, it, I think it's one of the best films that I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It does this really interesting thing where it kind of combines somewhat acted recreations of different events, but also then mm-hmm. I don't want to call it documentary footage, but like uh, actual interviews with, with different in, different indigenous people from around uh, North America and showing different mm-hmm. cultures because, you know, they, they talk to uh, Inuit people, which have a very different experience than, you know, Métis people or, or things like that mm-hmm. or Mi'kmaq people. So there's so much going on. And I think that mm-hmm. Michelle does a great job of, of kind of expanding the scope and being like, well, indigenous 
in Canada isn't one thing, it's many things. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and and sort of how that experience is related while they might sort of have a bit of a, a shared history with the way they were treated mm -hmm. as a whole, their individual experiences were very different and unique. No, like, like you said, it's not a monolith. Like we say, you know, indigenous, it's a blanket umbrella term, but it's not, you know, monolith. Like, yes, they went through, you know, um, residential school and the colonialism, imperialism, everything. But the way that they react to it and the way that they're still healing from it is very different. And yeah, like I realized that like this movie, this movie made me realize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I really enjoy how they kind of incorporate the uh, portrayal of indigenous people in media and how that kind of mm -hmm. moves forward. And I think it ties in really interesting. Are, are you familiar with uh, the band that featured in it, uh, A Tribe Called Red? Yeah, I actually just followed um, them on Instagram after watching this film. I was just like, I need, I need to know what they're doing. I, I am a big fan of them. I actually had a chance to interview them several years ago before they kind of blew nice. up and, and were big on the Canadian scene. And, and I'm really into them. And it, it's actually kind of funny, the the concert footage that they show in it. I'm pretty sure I was at that show. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, which is interesting because oh. I, I was there to to photograph them like as a, I'm a concert photographer on the side. And mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure I was at that show because I recognize it was their big rebel rebel homecoming show to celebrate the release of their last album. And they had a whole bunch of guests come out. And so I'm pretty sure it was that one. I'm not positive. I wanted to maybe send them a message and be like, hey, guys, was this this show? But I didn't end up doing <laughs> it. Um, but when you go to their shows, they incorporate a visual element. And so behind them, they will have like looping uh, images of different uh, indigenous people represented in, in movies and TV shows. So you're very traditional sort of like cowboys and Indian sort of stuff yeah. where they yeah. incorporate a lot of those visuals in this movie as well. So I like that sort of tie in where they're showing that sort of. Uh, portrayal and then also showing a tribe called red with their performance and how the two of them work so well together. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's interesting because I think in general, indigenous music in Canada has really risen in popularity the last couple of years. A, a big thing I'm a, a huge fan of is the Polaris music prize, uh, which celebrates the best Canadian album every year. And tribe called red hasn't won it, but they've been nominated a couple times, but they've also had recent winners like, uh, Tanya Tagak and, um, Buffy St. Marie and Jeremy Dutcher, but then other nominees like snotty nose res kids who did the end theme song, which I thought was mm -hmm. a very terrific song in that. Oh Yeah. Loved it. And they were actually the band in, a, in another, in, in Monkey Beach, they're the ones that were performing, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about later on. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, were there any of the, the sort of sequences or, or interviews that uh, you really resonated with in this movie? Oh, the, um, we are the hallucination. I think, was that the... Um, that would be the Tribe Called tribe. Red bit. Yeah, that song hit me hard. Again, like the message was really great. And... I studied like the concept of nation uh, in school. So, and how, you know, colonialism affected um, the whole notion of um, nation. So like to have that context and then seeing how indigenous people are trying to balance, you know, their own land and this notion of, you know, Canada as a nation was just like, Oh yeah, this is what we all have to think collectively how did you find the sort of narration by Thomas King and, you know, him being driven around in a cab, uh, sort of telling this parable about the, the indigenous plight with the way the mm -hmm. their interactions were with white colonizers. And then also mm -hmm. in the movie theater as well with his voiceover narration. Did you find that that tactic worked as far as a filmmaking perspective goes? Absolutely. It tied in, like you mentioned, um, the movie's, has you know different segments like different people and um areas of focus so the narration of the whole movie theater that um method definitely created this narrative like main foundation saying you know what we are going through this together and we are watching this we are going through this and i always love seeing toronto in films so just like oh that's true yeah that's eaton center mm -hmm. oh yeah that's true so it was just for me, I was just like, yay, I'm seeing Toronto and this 
narration works amazingly. I was just like fascinated by the whole, um, yeah, that method. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it as well. And I think incorporating Thomas King so closely to it works too, mm-hmm. because it's, it's interesting. Like I know there's been other movies where they make a documentary based on a book and I'm, and I'm always sort of curious about how they, they make that and decide what yeah. poses they want to use. But I think using the actual author was a great tactic. Yeah. And there was a sequence or um, footage of like him talking and like everyone's interviewing and you see, you know, the behind the scene kind of thing, like the camera and, you know, the buffer, like everyone. And was that the scene with um, Thomas King? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, that scene, I really liked it. And like, I do want to know how they came up with that. Like, what kind of conversation they have saying, you know what, let's do this. I think this is a good idea. Like, I'm interested in like, reading all the conversation that they had, you know. I think for me, one of the more powerful scenes was the the seal hunt sequence. That's an element that I feel is so often misunderstood and, and criticized by people who don't really get it because, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of grew up in, you know, this idea of, Oh, hunting baby seals, it's, it's wrong. And, you know, PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals are really against it. And, and I was yeah. like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's wrong. And then as I got a little bit older and started learning more about it and especially, you know, the concept of using every part of the animal, making sure that you're you're not wasting the sacrifice that this mm. animal is giving you. I think they did a great job, one, kind of showing how it's actually done, and then two, mm-hmm. you know, the way I, – I, I wish I remember the name of the man – who is the hunter uses mm-hmm. all the components and the way he, he treats the animal with respect and dignity is something that, uh, that hit me hard too. Yeah. And, um, when he brought, you know, the organs to one of the households and the mom was like chopping up the meat or organs and gave it to the kid and kids just like, Ooh, this tastes yummy. Like that scene. Yeah. Like you said, it's just, they respect every life and, I think we could learn from that. Mm -hmm. That kid was probably one of the most adorable kids I've ever seen too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That was so cute. Uh, Yeah. I I am a big fan of this and I really hope it kind of gets a a bigger audience. I I know Mm -hmm. with documentaries, especially Canadian documentaries, it's a little bit tough, but I could see this Mm -hmm. one maybe being one of the more breakthrough films for, from this year that I hope gets a a wide audience. Yeah. And like cinematography is just so beautiful. The usage of um, drones and, you know, like handheld camera and everything. It was just, it, I couldn't take my eyes off of this movie. So moving on, the next movie that we saw was one called Monkey Beach, which is a supernatural mystery layering tragedy, humor, and redemption. It tells the story of Lisa, a rebellious young woman who must accept her true heroic nature in order to save Jimmy, her brother, who is lost at sea. And everything at the same time. What are you doing here? No. What are you doing here? I thought that if I left, they would stop. You are gifted. Jimmy! 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 No, I have to stop him. So this is one that I, I thought mostly worked for me, but was a little rough around the edges at other points was this one that uh that worked for you or did you have some issues with it as well i definitely see why you are saying you know it was rough around the edges i definitely felt that but um i actually used to live in british columbia and prince rupert's often uh, mentioned with um high of tears and my town is often associated with um high of tears as well so i can't I acknowledge those points, but I, I'm just too biased to say, you know what? Yeah, I had issues. It's just talking about indigenous ladies in that field and their sacred land. It's just, it hits a bit too close to home for me, mm-hmm. but I definitely see um, how, like what they wanted to do, but how it just didn't meet the expectation that they had or what we had. I think but overall, yeah. I think for me, it was, it was more so things like some of the CGI wasn't wasn't all that great. Like I, I didn't oh, like yeah, no. 
the the pixelating nature of uh, is it her cousin who uh, who who is a spirit for her? I can't remember um, her, the character Tabitha. I don't really care yeah. for the way that kind of that effect was done. Yeah, that was that was not good. <laughs> it just sort of takes really you out of the scene because you're just like, oh, that's a awkward way to incorporate CGI. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, the red hair spirit or red hair man dancing. Mm-hmm. That man, it's just like, is this a weird dream sequence from like eighties or nineties? It definitely, yeah, the technical aspect definitely was not the best for sure. Mm-hmm. But all that said, I think the story w- was excellent, and there were some really standout performances, specifically from me, uh, Adam Beach as Uncle Mick, who was mm-hmm. probably the, the most well-known actor in the film. And then uh, a really surprise performance that I loved was uh, Tina Lehman, who is Mama oh. U, Mama U, who I thought yes. was was really great at grounding the movie and giving a lot of heart and, uh, and character depth to everyone. Absolutely. Uh, Tina did an amazing job. She was definitely the star of the film for me. Mm-hmm. Like, Adam Beach was amazing. Like, we all know he's amazing. Mm-hmm. But for me, Tina's just, you know, this love and respect and care for everyone in the land i think she nailed the expression like every scene like so hard and like i love i just love seeing a grandma carrying a gun like so naturally (laughs) (laughs) it's a hard thing to do but she just convinced us that she's been doing that for her lifetime and i think that's a hard thing to do so i i adored her in this Mm -hmm. film i think if i was to try to sort of pinpoint maybe what the the film's thesis point is for it. While mm-hmm. you've got like this sort of interesting supernatural mystery aspect going on, I think really at the core of what was going on is this sort of uh, middle generation of indigenous people in Canada who feel like they lost their culture and their way. So you have um, Mama U who uh, knows the old ways, knows the language and tries to pass it down. And then, um, You've got this, you know, the the next generation below who unfortunately were affected by residential schools the hardest and were literally forcefully beaten out of their culture, basically. And then you have this newer generation. So so people like um, uh, Lisa and Tabitha who are trying to reconnect with their roots and learn from their elders. And there's a bit of that disconnect because, you know, there at least is one aunt who is very clearly a Christian woman talks about praying to God and, and being thankful for all that sort of stuff. And there's a bit of a fight scene involving that, where how can you say that considering where we came from and all this stuff with residential schools that was forced upon us. So I think there's that one bonfire scene where, where that fight takes place where I really feel that's the film's thesis point for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in that conversation. I've heard that conversation before. So, yeah, I definitely agree that that was the main point of the film for sure. And it almost sort of kind of connects back to Inconvenient Indian in that sense where, you know, residential schools didn't fully stop everywhere in Canada until the mid-90s. I know we think of this as, as something that was happening in the 50s, but it, it continued until I think it was like 96 was the last residential school closure, which is not very long ago. Nope. And and I think it's, you know, it was only after that that Indigenous culture has sort of been able to uh, figure out what the missing links were, how can they reconnect with their roots and and bring their art and their stories forward that I think we've really been seeing in the last maybe half decade to a decade. And so that's why I think it was, it was sort of an interesting pairing. I watched Monkey Beach right after Inconvenient Indian and the two of them really kind of connected where you've got the... Um, a narrative one and then a documentary version of sort of similar stories telling similar uh, plights of, of issues that they're facing the communities. That's very true. Yeah. Like it is about generations and like reconciliation, like moving forward and like honoring yourself and your lineage. And that's for sure. I didn't, I actually didn't see that. So now it makes sense. Yeah, it was just something that I, I kind of like, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, these these two movies are, are very connected in that sense for me. Yeah, you had your aha moment. <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, but I did really like it. And and I think with, you know, with a big enough name like Adam Beach, who who people might know from 
such movies like Wind Talkers or uh, Suicide Squad and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where I would hope that this maybe has a bit of a, a built-in audience that people are, are more willing to to search out and, and find if it appears on you know a streaming platform or something like that. Oh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did really enjoy the. This sort of, you know, we're talking about with Inconvenient Indian, this idea of, you know, uh, there is not one monolithic indigenous community. And so seeing the, mm-hmm. the Heisla uh, community so well represented in this movie was mm-hmm. really interesting and unique. Yeah, it was just, and uh, going back to the um, party when the performance was interrupted by um, Tavitha's father. Um, and he said, like, you don't know what I went through. And everyone else just, like, kind of mad at him. But it's just like, well, we know what he's going through. We have an idea what we are going through. And that scene was very pow- powerful to me. And, like, seeing the beautiful nature, the land that they respect, but the colonialists kind of taken from people. Like, not just that um community but you know all across uh, Canada it's just I think it's a well-made film and like I do think that it deserves um recognition and a big attention and I really hope that they don't get it mm-hmm. yeah I think I think you're right about the, the the scene with Tabitha's father because that's that's a character where you know on the surface he's the antagonist, I won't say the bad guy, but he's definitely the antagonist in the film that a lot of the other characters seem to have their issues with him for various reasons. Everyone sort of has their own issues towards him. But like any good movie where the villain is someone that you understand where they're coming from and they can be sympathetic at points, that was his story as well, where you you understand and you sympathize with the struggles and pain that he's gone through, even if his end goals are not ones you you agree with. Mm-hmm, absolutely and that's the mark of like you know a, a really well-written character that you can you can understand and sympathize with them even if you don't agree with them it's hard to write a villain but yeah I, like you said i think they did a good job um had a good balance and backstory mm-hmm. of where he's coming from yeah yeah and i and i love the the way that they shot the landscape you're 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 so right with that there's so much detail paid to the beaches and the forests and in mm-hmm. the water and the sky and and so much that i know is is considered very sacred to the indigenous community the hasla community and they talk about you know if you take something leave something so if you're if you're needing mm-hmm. to take a plant for for whatever purposes you need, you you leave mm-hmm. something in return. I know that they often talk about tobacco in this film, the plant tobacco, not necessarily the actual cigarettes. But it's it's <laughs> mm-hmm. nice that uh, they kind of infuse a lot of their personal beliefs into this movie. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, it made me want to go back to BC. <laughs> Are you were did you spend any amount of time like up in the Kitimat area where this was shot? No, um, my town's like the other side of the highway. Okay. Um, like really far away, but it's just, you know, northern BC, like the landscapes just everywhere is just so beautiful with the woods and beaches. So it's just like, ah, I miss my I miss my small town. <laughs> my both of my younger brothers live out in North Vancouver and I've gone out there twice now to visit uh, them and I, I really want to go back and explore more because it is so beautiful out there. Right. Uh, BC is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not saying Ontario is not, but... It's just very different, especially in a big yeah. city like Toronto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, watching this, um, not just this movie, but like other films, like films from this film festival made me really want to go back and reconnect with the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a key aspect that a lot of these movies have in common with each other. All right, so the next one that we saw was a film called Brother I Cry, which is about John, a young First Nations man who is struggling to overcome addiction and avoid the multiple warrants out on him. But he has several strong women in his corner, his girlfriend, his sister, his mother, and his unborn daughter. They are all hoping he can master his demons. Good morning. How does he keep a job if he's wanted by the police? Being a little human. Everyone knows your brother's messed up. Want to make some runway? Don't want.
This was another movie that I found was a little uneven at times. Some definitely some strong performances from some of the actors, some that I wasn't as on board with. And in the end, I think the plot didn't completely work for me. I think they okay. tried to do a little bit too much with the story, despite it being a relatively mm. simple plot. Was this one that mm-hmm. uh, worked for you? For me, it did because um, John's actor, Justin Rain, I think his performance was stellar. So his powerful acting kind of put everything together. So for me, I liked it, but I definitely understand why you're saying that. I think for me, the star of the movie was was actually the directing. It was really phenomenal uh, with a lot of really interesting cinematography, the two of them combined together. So the director was uh, Jesse Anthony. And so you get some really interesting sequences early on, like uh, John is snorting a line of, of drugs in a bathroom. And so he puts his head down and he snorts it. And as he goes to put his head up, the shot changes to his sister who is splashing water on her face. And then there's just a whole lot of really interesting shots using mirrors and reflections and the characters sort of seeing themselves in other things, especially the 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 one scene where uh, John is in jail and his girlfriend is visiting him. The two of them, oh, the yeah. shots of that, I think are really beautiful. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It was beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. And the color was really muted, so it kind of added like the whole vibe of, you know, like this is kind of serious slash not a happy movie um i think everything was cohesive when it comes to some cinematography and directing yeah yeah i i think it was a a great portrait of what it's like when you're dealing with an addict because you've got mm-hmm. you know with with all the people in this movie that are kind of interacting with john whether it's his, his sister or his girlfriend or his mother or his father or his friend that's his enabler and and drug dealer they all sort of have Mm -hmm. a different perspective on who john is as a person so you know his Mm -hmm. sister is like right from the very beginning he's an addict you can't trust him he's probably still using even if he Mm -hmm. isn't you need to be careful around him and then his mother kind of enables him by giving him money and believing his stories and then his girlfriend seems to mostly be pretty oblivious to his addiction Mm-hmm. Maybe that's because she's trying to remain hopeful for them. But mm-hmm. overall, I think it was a very interesting portrait to show how different people deal with, you know, someone you care and love about with the issues that they're going through personally. Yeah, I actually wrote in my notes saying like addiction is not an isolated like single issue. And in that, what I try to like, what I'm saying is that their cause to people leading to finding you know escape in those um substances and you can't really you know nitpick or like isolate those issues it's just the whole you know their backstory and the environment they grew up in and then how that person's addiction affects their surroundings too so it it was multi-layer in that sense and the way that you know it's not just about addiction it's about generation trauma and anger and what it means to like what it means to have an identity as indigenous um, people. So I think for me, they did a good job tying up those aspects. Yeah. I, I, I agree to a point. I think, I think what for me is the movie kind of came to a very sudden conclusion that I wasn't quite expecting, which maybe, maybe that's what needed to happen. But for me, I I don't think there was a, a proper closure enough for the different storylines not to say that the ending needed to be different i just think that there needed to be a bit more closure for some of the characters and what perspective i definitely do agree like i was heartbroken or like i was really shocked by the ending and now like listening to you i was just like oh that makes sense i just want to know like what made you like what were you expecting like what would have been what could have been changed yeah, it's it's a little tough because I don't really want to give away the the ending. Yeah, um, <laughs> Sorry. because I, I do want people to, to watch this and, and kind of I'd love to hear other people's takes on it. It just mm-hmm. it just sort of seemed that like you know there's an incident with with John and his drug dealing friend that goes wrong, mm-hmm. and it just sort of wrapped up a little too quickly. And I know 
the story, like we don't really understand what kind of happens with his mother, uh, that oh, sort yeah. of aspect where they kind of keep leading. They, they throughout the movie, they kind of show more and more of who his mother is and, and what her story is, but then they kind of never really give enough. She just sort of used a bit of a, as a vehicle for either John or, oh. or his sister for their, for whatever needs that they have at that given moment and, and sort of what the scene needs. So I, I just sort of felt that she was a bit of an underutilized character and it was one that I was kind of wanting to know more what would happen to her afterwards. Yeah. Like we see where she's coming from and you know, like you said, she's an enabler, but she's a mother. Like she cares about him, but we like a bit more backstory of her side of story would have been more convincing. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially since we also clear, clearly learned throughout the movie as it goes on that she's an alcoholic as well. That <laughs> it's kind of you know joked about in jest a little bit except for john's sister who seems to be the only person who is able to accurately point out when someone is struggling with addiction whether it's her brother or her mother and yeah. and so it's that, that was sort of an aspect that i wish was maybe explored a little bit more and and how she affects those around her as well mm-hmm. yeah for sure but can i just say that Whenever the mom and the um, Ava was fighting, I was just like, uh, "Like I know where I know why those two are saying, but like, could you say in a different tone? Like you're giving me anxiety right now." <laughs> so they did a good job um, causing unrest um, to the viewers for those scenes. Yeah, I I think that maybe might be one of my other issues is there. There's several scenes of of arguments and and fights. Mm-hmm. And it starts out where you, you can kind of follow along as a as a viewer, but then the fights just kind of devolve into both characters yelling "f you" at each other mm-hmm. over and over and over again until one yeah. of them kind of storms out. And you're like, "All right, that's not really how you end a scene, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's realistic. I'll give you that. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe it's just because I, I don't have personal experience either being in relationships like that or or knowing people like that where it's just neither of you are in the right and you're just sort of yelling over each other. Yeah. It was uncomfortable, yeah. But it was one that I still did enjoy, especially for the directing and cinematography. And I think Jesse Anthony is a real talent and I'm very excited to see what he does next. Yeah, definitely. I'll be following him as well. Now, the last movie that uh, the two of us watched, we we decided to do uh, an international film. So we did The Legend of Baron Toa, which is about Fritz, a young Tongan man, grappling with his wrestling superstar father, Baron Toa's legacy, both metaphorically and literally, following in his deceased father's footsteps by fighting for the return of his dad's stolen championship belt. You near around here, Bert? Uh, no. I don't see you for all this time. When my dad died, this place went to crap. That's not the nephew I tell you about. He's been in Australia too long. Boys come running, gas ain't gunning. Your father's belt is gone. Those like my dog, like my dog. Alice stolen my stuff. Yeah, it's a bit tato-tato around here. What's yours is mine and what's mine is yours, but it's all good. That works best for those with nothing worth borrowing, doesn't it? Too much heat. Hey, can we discuss the belt? Suits me, eh? When I heard you were the Baron's only spawn, I don't know whether to piss or crap my pants. You know what I've concluded, mother? I don't need to change my undies. <laughs> so this movie uh, was made in New Zealand. Now, I'm I'm not quite sure if it w- takes place in New Zealand as well. We're not really totally sure. I know that uh, most of the characters are Tongan, and they talk about mm-hmm. how Fritz uh, had been spending too much time on the island of Australia. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they make several references to that, I guess, being like, oh, he's, he was in the big city. So I assume mm-hmm. this is taking place in New Zealand because – uh, Tonga is a very, very small country where they don't really have cities. And this looks like it's like a nice kind of cul-de-sac in a suburb. Yeah. So I assume it's, it's New Zealand, but I don't think it's, it's made very clear. But what I like most about this is, you know, in recent years, 
we've seen a rise of uh, New Zealand comedy from people like Taika Waititi and, and the Flight of the Concords yes. guys, which is, mm-hmm. I love that style of comedy. And while there's certain elements of that here, it's not the same, you know, dry, deadpan humor. This is a very different, I don't want to say it's, you know, like a, a North American, American style comedy, but there's definitely... Mm-hmm more elements that I think a viewer would be able to relate to uh, on a film level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, there were some moments that I was just like, oh, like I completely forgot to like think about Taika Waititi and like other New Zealand comedies, but now it makes sense. But there are some moments that I was laughing just, yeah, it definitely felt that it was, really native to the director's like community but at the same time there are moments that it didn't feel like a foreign new zealand or tongan film i can't really pinpoint out um, yeah the, those aspects but yeah it definitely yeah i definitely agree with you mm-hmm. yeah I, I understand what you're saying too um i i do you know this is definitely much more of a, a action comedy but not like a you know not like a, a marvel type of movie there is quite a bit of uh of, of violence and, and and gore in this movie as well not terrible but enough that like if you're a little squeamish there's a couple parts where you're like ooh, that i feel that and i think that's one thing that i sort of appreciate it was too often in in most action movies the hero basically doesn't feel anything and they'll walk away and be like oh i got a little bit of blood on my lip but that's about it <laughs> or they'll yeah. be like a little dirty or is this like there's mm-hmm. actually like entire scenes where he can't get out of bed because he's too sore from the fight that he was in the day before and uh mm-hmm. every after every fight he kind of looks worse and worse where he's just wearing down uh his, his body and his energy so i think they do a really good job where sometimes i get too frustrated watching similar style of movies where you're just like well that's obviously gonna hurt them can you at least like show them getting hurt <laughs> yeah 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 like they brush off you know oh like my ribs are broken whatever like i do agree that like that's i do not like that but this movie how realistic that um the injuries are definitely was a good refreshing thing but with that being said um there was a um training montage and uh, i actually didn't like that scene mm. and why because that? I don't know how many days they've spent on, you know, training Fritz and Fritz was, you know, heavily injured first of all. And then he was training, like doing, you know, heavy lifting and everything. And given that, you know, he had um, some training in wrestling, I was just like, well, I feel like it needs like at least a month to have someone who's like really good to make it like really, really good but I don't know how many days they've spent on it. And from the injury that he had, like how he was healing, I don't think it wasn't like a month long. So it's just like, yeah, how realistic is this training montage? Like how, how many days did you spend on it? That made me. I think it's one of those things where they took a, a little bit of liberty as far as movie making goes, where they definitely showed the wear and tear his body was, was taking, but at the same time, uh, you know, if he gets hurt that he can't move, they can't really be like, and then one month later. <laughs> so I think, yeah. they, I think they, they took a little bit of license with that where they, they, they definitely show during the montage, which I'm not a, a big fan of montages in general. Uh, yeah. and I think it was a clear nod to like that sort of Rocky style where, you know, he's running up the, the streets in Philadelphia, up the staircase and, yeah. Uh, I did a that sort of thing, uh, which you know is obviously I think a little bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. Where you know we're we're watching this guy who is very clearly uh, not fit to do this sort of thing. All of a sudden, you know he struggles to run up the hill once, and then the next time, oh, he can do it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, good for him, but like how? You know that question definitely pops up. Mm-hmm. But I think it worked that, you know, this is this is a man who, when he was younger, probably was getting wrestling training from his father. We, we hear about that he was getting training from his uncle as well, and mm-hmm. I guess he stopped it. But clearly, 
being healthy and, and working out was something that he cared about because uh, I, I don't have his name up in front of me. This actor uh, is quite ripped and he is very large yes. and very muscular. <laughs> it's quite impressive, <laughs> very. actually. Yeah. <laughs> I I was um I googled uh, his name. I should didn't know, and I think he's doing um the Rock's uh, documentary or the film, and he's the young Rock. So oh, interesting. Like, oh, that makes sense. Like, no wonder he's ripped. Yeah, he's perfect for the role. <laughs> yeah, his name is Uli Lat- Latukifu. Uh, and I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I hope I'm pronouncing it. I apologize if I'm not. But uh, I, I thought I thought he had a really charismatic personality and definitely someone that I can see making a, a huge splash in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and really, as a whole, I thought all the actors in this were, were excellent. This was, of, of all the, the three narrative films that I watched, I didn't have any issues with any of the performances. I thought they were all excellent. And if you kind of, it's it's funny how all these years later, you're still sort mm-hmm. of seeing the reverberations of the effect that uh, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit had filming in New Zealand, because I looked <laughs> at all of these people. I, I imagine most of the actors are, are you know, stunt performers by trade and not usually mm-hmm. actors. And you look at them and sure enough, uh, Lord of the Rings stunt person, Lord of the Rings stunt person, <laughs> the Hobbit orc, all this sort of stuff going, going back, uh, the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. So it's interesting oh, to see wow. the connection there. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think one other thing that really worked for me is, you know, Fritz is, is not a perfect person. You know, he's a little mm-hmm. bit rude. He disregards other people's traditions. He, mm-hmm. you know, he forces his will on his uncle and he is a little bit of a creep at the beginning to his neighbor. So yes. I sort of appreciate it that, you know, this is not your typical perfect hero that he has his flaws and he works on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was refreshing, but seeing those uh, kind of creepy or like arrogant moments, I was just like, ugh. I know that you're the main guy and I should be liking you, but I want to smack you so hard, but I feel like you're going to smack me back and I'm going to break my bones. So I'm not going to do that kind of thing. Yeah. It was, it made me fall into like fall in love with the movie really easily. And I think that's with the help of every single person in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he does a great job as a, having a proper character arc where he learned and understand whatever uh, problematic personality traits he had before and, and how to grow mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, this is one that I really liked and I can definitely see that, you know, if, if it comes out in North America or something like that, a wide release where I could see it getting a, a bit of a, a following. I'm not a wrestling fan by any means, but I think mm-hmm. that there's, there's definitely that sort of built in audience where they would probably appreciate this film quite a bit. Yeah. And it's a cute, it's not cute, but it's a good comedy as well. So like, I, like, I don't want to see people's, you know, bones being broken and everything. And there are some scenes I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they've done this. But I think it's a great film, not only to wrestling fans, but everyone who's just want to watch this uh, comedy from comedy film from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, w- I wouldn't say that, like I was saying earlier, I would not compare the humor to like a Taika Waititi. But if you do like that, I think there's probably enough overlap where the the sort of laid back nature of the comedy and a little bit more of a, a verbose aspect to it. I think you'll probably mm-hmm. appreciate that if you if you like those witty one liners. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, I actually um, was thinking about this film earlier today and i realized like why i while i was watching it it felt like a video game yeah and then like the music in the fight scene was very very like techno pop and i feel like that added to the video game feeling and it's not like bad video game feeling it's a good like straightforward not straightforward but like you see the object and the goals so yeah like it was i i liked it in that perspective yeah, I think I think very much so. It was modeled after, you know, the way a video game is structured, especially like the the final act where, you know, he he goes to confront the the bad guys and so he starts out we've got like all the low level goons and he kind of faces off one on one and they all kind of have like a unique trait to them and then he's got like 
what he thinks is he's fighting the big boss, and then he so he defeats them. But then, in actuality, that there's a real different big boss. I don't want to spoil the movie, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> but it definitely sort of plays out like a video game where you're like, yeah, I, I beat the game, and then you realize like, oh no, there's another level yeah. to it on top of that. Like, they're even more powerful. Yeah. I actually didn't see the plot twist coming, so that was really refreshing. Yeah, neither did I. I as soon as oh. I think like midway through the act, when when the uncle was kind of hinting at it, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I think I know what's what's going to come, but I'm not for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. in general, you know, leading up to it, I knew that there's a specific character I won't name who it is, but there's a specific mm-hmm. character. Where I'm like, okay, we're going to learn something about this person that they're clearly uh, and deliberately hiding from the audience at this point. Yeah, that took me by surprise, and I liked it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So those were all the movies that we watched together, but you also watched another documentary, Love and Cry. If you want to maybe talk about uh, briefly what it was about and and, and any general thoughts you had on it. Being an artist is cool. I don't care what you do. An actor, a musician, a paint, sculpt. Just go do what you got to do and be proud of it. Don't ever be ashamed of anything. Yeah, so Love and Fury um, is about many uh, Native artists, um, filmmaker Sterling Harjo or Harho, I cannot pronounce their name, um, followed these artists for a year. So it's about um, different artists like across the world. Um, some are musicians, some are like painters. And it's about what they're doing and what it means to be an indigenous first nation artist outside of their community and how they deal with the generations of trauma some have relationship good relationship with their father so they would talk about that so it's just like um anthology of those um artists and it's a documentary so it's not like there's a clear narrative to it, but um, the they actually talk about like feminism and like how women are stronger um, and like more resilient and like decolonization. So some of the topics that they spoken are really um, important to me. So I could relate to that in that perspective, but to know about indigenous artists that I don't necessarily know well, um isn't i'm opening and like it was really educational and uh, they use um so for transitioning scenes they write the um, town or the nation that those artists are in and the font was really cute the font is actually used on the post um on the poster of the movie but i really liked uh i usually usually hate those uh you know fonts like seeing the movie like oh you're in spain or you're in the uh, wherever but with this film i think it worked really well so yeah it, um it's a great film to introduce you to great um, native ar- artists and know about their stories. Well, awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that you managed to check out another film and, and that you really liked it overall. Uh, I was, I was very happy with the, the movies that I, I saw. I wish I could see even more of them and it's definitely a festival. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to attend again and hopefully next year when, when COVID isn't happening that I can go and see <laughs> films in person too. Yes. Oh, I definitely need to like physically attend the film and like talk to people who are, you know, at the film or talk to the filmmakers or listen to their talks because we, I think we all should know what happened on this land in the past. And we should just know about these communities that we often kind of not see every day. If you are not in those communities. So yeah, it was a great um, film festival and thank you so much for introducing me to it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad that you came on. I, I, you know, when we were talking, I, I realized that you would be a perfect person to have on for this because uh, you, you review movies on your YouTube channel and a big part of one of the things that you care about is representation as, as someone who is half Japanese, I know that's really important to you. And, and you talk about what movies are showing representation. And so I thought that this would be a good topic to have you on to talk about. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, represent, representation does matter. And I hope we get to see more indigenous um, communities in you know, film, music, uh, media, those industries. Of course. Now, if anyone wants to learn more about you or your work, uh, where can they check you out? 
So um, I have a YouTube channel. Um, you could search me under um, Naomi Weta Platt. Um, I usually do commentary on various things. Um, I try to do more movie reviews. But yeah, um, I talk about whatever things that I feel about. And yeah, check me on YouTube. Yeah, they're they're really funny and informative. I, I definitely enjoyed your your falling one. Uh, you did a great job with that. And then uh, another one was another round where I had covered for the Sudbury Cinefest. And so it was nice to, mm-hmm. to sort of just hear another review about that movie. I think you really nailed that one down too. Oh, thank you so much. Do you have anything in the works that you're you have coming up that you you can talk about, or just in general? Um, I definitely want to talk about um, movies that I saw at uh, Inside Out um, because LGBTQ representation does matter. So um, I'll be reviewing um, Shiva Baby. Um, so yeah, that's coming up hopefully soon. Well, that's exciting. That was a festival I want to cover as well, but it was kind of around the same time as this one. So it didn't work yeah. out time-wise for me. Why do film festivals in Toronto collide so hard? I know. We we should we should write to someone about that. Um, yes, let's do that. <laughs> well, once again, Naomi, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you thank saw you so any of the films at this year's Imaginative Festival, let us know what you sp- thought. Speaking of which, make sure you follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. I want to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. Please visit ContraZoomPod.com for all your CZP needs and bookmark it as I'll be adding lots of cool content to it over time. Please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts as it will help grow and find new listeners. Thanks for checking us out.